Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour, episode 56. We're talking the brief, wondrous life of Oscar Wow. I'm Ollie Matu, and I'm joined, as always, by my illustrious co-host, AJ Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going well. Well, we've got, uh, this This is an episode that's been long in the making. We're talking Oscar Wow, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning Oscar Wow, and we're mashing it up against a Nerd Hour classic. What's in the Infinite Crossover Chamber today, Conrad? In the Infinite Crossover, we are pitting Brief Wonders Life of Oscar Wow uh, against Ready Player One. So and the, is- Yeah, it's an interesting little little crossover. And the question is, which book or which story uses uh, sci-fi and fantasy nerdy references, do you think to better use of storytelling, Ollie? Yeah, Is I think, the- yeah, which one propels the story forward better, I guess. <laughs> um, and uh, top five is going to be kind of tied in to both stories a little bit. Conrad, what's our top five? Our top five is top five influential media. So for you and me personally, what was the type of media that influenced or would you kind of character building media in our in our young lives, I guess? Yeah. And this is one where I can't wait to hear feedback from um, all the Nerd Hour listen, listeners out there and see what uh, what their top five is here. But before we get to all of that, Conrad, I hear we've got an update on our friends from Singularity & Co. We do indeed. Uh, so CC and the gang over at Singularity & Co. <laughs> have reached and exceeded their goal. So that's very exciting. So I'm very, very happy to hear that. And their initial goal was $15,000. They actually are currently at $47,000, just a bit over. I think there's like a little a little bit over 47000 Just a few more hours to go. Yep. So if you would like to contribute, feel free to, to kick in a bit. And We're not going to have this episode out before it's done. It's over. I don't, know what you, I don't know what you're talking about, Ali. We might. We might. <laughs> anyway. But either way, congratulations, Singularity & Co. We're very excited that Yay. you made your goal and... We're super excited that more out-of-print print vintage sci-fi is going to be put into digital format for the future, and so this is just an amazing project that you guys have going on. And thank you to all the super fantastic Nerd Hour listeners who went and supported the cause after hearing about Singularity & Co. from last week's episode. We appreciate your support of the sci-fi culture. Um, so, Conrad... Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. Uh, this is a book. <laughs> yes, it is. That you, did you read or did you listen? I listened to the book. I listened to the audio okay. book. Um, and so this is a book we, um, as Nerd Hour fans know, uh, it takes a lot to for me to pick up a book given uh, time and given, you know, just how hard it is for for only Matu here to, to get books read. Um, but this is a, what, what usually happens for me, and we kind of talked about this on our episode um, with The Martian. Uh, when I get enough people in my life who are telling me to read one book, when it kind of, it's, it's kind of how a neuron works, when it gets enough signals from uh, nearby neurons, when enough stuff gets sent through these dendrites, it fires off its action potential. Maybe I'm nerding out here a little bit too much. But when I get 
in the same message from a lot of friends, then I feel compelled to read a book. And that's exactly. Uh, oh, oh, is that what happens, Ollie? Because I pretty much thought it was like when Conrad tells you to read a book, you're like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Or I don't want to watch that. Or I don't know, Conrad, I'm not sure about that suggestion. And then Zenob goes, Ollie, you know what? You should really read this. And you're like, okay. Well, no. That's not that's not what happens. All right, no. Zanub is another data point here. Um, but my cousin Aisha, friend of the show, uh, she was also someone else who recommended this. And, and the big thing that really pushed me to read this book is it was named by, very recently named by um, many to be one of the most important novels um, of the 21st century so far. Um, it's been critically acclaimed. It's won a Pulitzer Prize. We should mention this is written by MIT professor uh, Juno Diaz, who um, has you know written a lot of short stories before, and he's been working on some follow-up science fiction stories, but has never really gotten to the point where he's been satisfied with them and hasn't published, hasn't had any of them published. But um, this is a, a person who's been um, really well... Um, well embraced by the whole literary community. And so but all of those things I, I, I would also say he is a super nerdy sci-fi loving author. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, which, absolutely. which, you know, when so when I first recommended that you read this, Ali. Over a year ago, I should say. Mm, yes. Before all this before this massive critical. Although point. although I will tell you, I was also this was on this was one of those books that was on my my books to read and so i was also i late to the party on this one in terms of actually reading it yeah because it um, came out in 2006 yeah 2008 i think um but it, it you know it kept popping up everywhere and you know i knew i would read it and i knew i would like it and it was one of those books the reason why i read like an excerpt and i was kind of I don't want to say I was saving it for a rainy day, but I wanted to save it to kind of savor it, which I sometimes do with books. Sure. Um, because I read them very quickly. So, Ferociously. Um, I just wanted to, to basically save a good one for when I needed it, and this was one of those. So, um, But while I was reading it, I kept thinking to myself, Ali would love this book. Oh, my gosh. He would, <laughs> oh, well, and, and Ali would what, just totally love this book. So I think it, what happens, I'm, Conrad, to be honest with you, I think you're an early adapter of some of these books and I hear about the book from you like way before I hear it from anyone else. This has happened with pretty much every recommendation you've given me. And then it's like a year or two later when other people <laughs> catch up and I'm like, oh, okay, I remember Conrad mentioning this. And I tell myself that many times when when The Martian came up or when some of this, when Ready Player One came up, I was like, oh, I remember Conrad mentioned this a while back. <laughs> so um, how are we going to do this, Conrad? Do we do spoilers? Do we do non-spoilers? Uh, how are we going to have this discussion? Um, I think we're going to do a, a summary. I would say, though, before we start it, and I think that anybody, it, it's not, this book is not just for, for nerdy folk, um, although I think people that are into to sci-fi um, and comic books and just about every nerdy thing, LARPing, all that, will very much enjoy reading this book. Um it's it's just beautifully crafted and written and you know aside from that it is very much um the the stories that he tells um 
are very they're very much about the immigrant experience here in the United States. Um, so there's it, it's just I think it is an amazing piece of work. I don't know how you felt about it. <laughs> yes, Ali. I hope well, you liked it, but I'm not sure yet. You seem you've you've been a little bit quiet. I'm so a little we'll, coy here. Um, yeah. So before we get into really diving into the book, um, just to say a few things about it. Um, so one point I will disagree with you, which is foreshadowing some of my thoughts a little bit. I, I don't think there's an automatic um, if you're into uh, the genres, as our title character says in this book. Um, I don't think that's an automatic you're going to like this book. There, This is a well-written book. It does a few things that are kind of bold and different than most books. Um, one of the things that is different about this book is there is a changing narrator. Mm-hmm. There are jumps in time to different points of this family's story, uh, there is sort of a, um, some of the reviews have described as code switching, which is sort of the idea of how, um, taken from psychology and linguistics of how you think differently, depending on the context you're in and the language you're using. And this book does a lot of that. There's a lot of code switching as you go back and forth between the characters being in different places and interacting with different people and the eras and the, the narrator that you're, you're following. So all of that makes, I think this fir- the first half of this book in some ways hard to get through for, for some people because it is so different than a lot of stories that are out there. Um, that's not to say don't read it. I, I think look, my disclaimer and caveat here is uh, the first 100 to 150 pages probably are, um, are going to be different and are probably not going to be what most people expect. Oh, I don't know. But I think that it's a, a story that keeps you on your toes. And you're right. It does switch around things. I'm not. I'm not saying that you're. You're not. It's not a Ready Player One story. I guess. No, not by any. So means. these are very different stories. Um, so it's a story that integrates culture and language. What it means to be American. What it means to be bicultural. Um, it reminded me of some of the discussions I've had about the quote perils of the hyphen of being Dominican American or, you know, being, you know, blank American and what it's like to have your foot in, in many different cultures. It is, uh, there's a lot of history in this book. Um, it, there is a lot about a lot of breakdown of what it means to be, um, male and masculine in this book. Um, and sexuality is another big theme in this book. This is not by any means a Ready Player One. I think this is a no. story. This um, is heavier. It's it's much more. There's a lot of reality pushing its way in, and there's it, it, there it, there's a lot of different. I mean, there's so many different issues at play here. It's a very complex way of storytelling, and yeah. and of end of telling somebody's experience and. The interactions of the different characters, it's, I mean, well, I think it's clear what I think of the story, but. It might be unclear what I think about the story, yes. but it, it, I would summarize this as a, it's not an autobiographical story. This is fictionalized, but it does 
uh, it is inspired by uh, historical events in some ways. The background of uh, the background in which this family, and this is really a story about a family, uh, the, the the background of in which this family lives is based on real history, and I think it's inspired by some of the nerdy experiences that uh, Juno Diaz, the author, has had. So that I think that's how it fits into Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. This is in some ways the story of a nerd. Um, but it's not a story about him being nerdy. It's a story about his family. And um, would I recommend it? Um, it's not an automatic recommendation for me. Mm. Um, and we'll, we'll get into why in my in my review when we get into spoilers. But I will say if if you are interested in stories about identity and development and how someone comes to be and sort of politics, not, not as much politics, but more history and, um, and what it's like to, you know, live in these different worlds, then pick it up. Um, and I think one of the problems here is this book has been sold as more of a nerdy story. And it's not that at all. And I think people who pick this up looking for Ready Player One are probably going to be are going to have a hard time with it. I don't think they'll have a hard time, but it's just a very different type of story. So, um, so should we get into some spoilers here? I think we should. I think we all should. Right. Now well, I'm very uh, curious. So go for it. <laughs> um, all right. So. We've got a few different characters here. Uh, we have Oscar, uh, who is our main character here, who's who's named uh, Oscar Wow after a sort of a few characters in the story mishear uh, someone else calling him Oscar Wilde. There's that. There's his sister Lola and um, her story. Uh, their mother uh, Belly. Um, there is the narrator. What was the narrator's name again? It's Oscar's roommate, Junior. Uh, uh, Junior, exactly, yep, who we learn very much later into the story that this is uh, the narrator. And it's revealed at the end of the book that um, uh, Junior is writing this story kind of to uh, to share the experience that Oscar's had in this brief, wondrous life. And then also uh, Oscar and Lola's uh, grandfather is uh, uh, a character in the story. So, um, oh. Come out and give it to you straight, Conrad. I had a really hard time with the beginning part of the story, and I think mm. it and, and that I think it's extremely well written. I, I really like the how the story breaks down um, the different systems and influences that have an impact on Oscar, the, our main character. Um, the historical events and how I, I really do like how uh, the the corruption and the um, the the corruption and the uh, the dictatorship of uh, Trujillo um, how that is shown to impact this family for three generations. I think that is really cool. And that is something that you usually don't get in um, just by reading history. 
you learn that you know people are displaced, or you learn that there are uh, brutalities that happen. Um, but to understand it in this way, it reminded me of uh, of the the TV show, the TV miniseries Roots, and how you know we we talked about Roots a little bit before, and you know the plagiarism and some of those allegations and the settlement and all that. But putting that aside for for a moment, what Roots does really well is it does show the impact that slavery had on a family across generations. And I got a similar feel um, of that here in Oscar Wow. It was really cool to see how that stuff plays out. Yeah, Go- I well, actually, you know, when you, because you had, I, I surmise that you might be listening to this as opposed to reading it. Yeah. And I, I think that, I was wondering how you would take in the beginning pieces of this book. Mm -hmm. Because I think that you can process it a little bit, I don't want to say more easily, but it's easier to see where the flow of this goes, like where the flow of the narration goes, if you're reading it as opposed to listening to it. Yeah, one of the problems I discovered after I'd finished the book is the footnotes. Yes, but the that's what notes, I'm saying. That's yeah. why there's no that, footnotes in the audiobook. Oh, None. well, so then you missed a lot, a lot then, because yeah. this is a book full of footnotes. Well, it, um, it, it's I read that the footnotes give you the context of the Dominican mm-hmm. Dominican history, um, how uh, uh, Diaz sort of influenced the development of the characters, the development of the characters, his, his right. thought process, how this relates to science fiction. I think this book is um, is a dense experience that's meant to be chewed over a long period of time. Right. Like you were saying earlier, this is a book that you were sort of saving so uh, to really savor. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the audiobook here really doesn't do this book justice. It doesn't translate well to an audiobook. And that might have been part of the problem. And that might have been why, you know, I, I felt like the, the jumps between the different stories mm-hmm. of uh, the different members of the family were abrupt. And it, listening to the book felt like a series of distinct stories rather than one larger narrative. And I think that experience would have been different if I read it. And I think now that you're telling me that the footnotes were missing, I think you missed like, honestly, it's almost like half the book. Yeah. Um, not half the book, but without that context, it's tied in really beautifully. So I would, if you're up for it, I would recommend you reread it if you are up for it. Yeah, you know, it might Give be yourself some-, some time and maybe maybe absorb it again. Um, and I'm not saying I think that the audiobook would also be great, but I just think f- especially for this book, I do think you really need to read it um, off the page. So. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's uh, probably similar to, oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, it would probably be like wa- Watchmen without the comic within a comic or I don't know. It'd probably yeah, something no, more same than idea. That. Same idea, though. But it's definitely because he, he uses, he utilizes those footnotes and there's so much more. It's such a richer experience having those there. So it's probably the first time where I really regret listening to the audiobook because um I I 
I'm really able to recall and retain information pretty well when I hear it in an audio way. That's part of the reason why I really love listening to audiobooks. And the narrator was fantastic. I think I actually learned a lot of Spanish just by <laughs> yeah. listening to um, listening to the audiobook, and and that was something that I I really enjoyed. But without all of that, um, the first leg of the book was really hard for me to get into. And uh, the larger story, I felt like it was, I enjoyed, uh, again, understanding the multiple generations of this family and how they're inf- uh, impacted by the, the history of what was happening in the Dominican Republic at this time. Um, I, I did really enjoy the nerdy references as they came up, and we'll probably talk about those a little bit more. But overall, I felt like it was hard for me to feel very emotionally connected to many of these characters. I did feel connected to Oscar in the very beginning. Um, and then after that, I, I, I felt, um, I did feel the emotional connection to some of the characters, especially, especially Belly. Um, mm-hmm. her story, uh, I felt like was, um, you know, very tragic at, at many different, uh, points. And it was one that really stuck out to me, but overall, I, I had a hard time really feeling like it all kind of came together for me and all, and it all kind of integrated well. Um, I, you know, reading this, I read it not knowing a little bit about it, not much about it. Um, but not enough about it to basically spoil the fact, you know, I really like how Junior, as the narrator, you it's sort of like you're slowly introduced to him over time. Yeah. And then and then you kind of find out who he is, but you thought you knew who he was. And then you're like, wait, <laughs> how did that all happen? So the different perspectives in the narration are really interesting to me in this book. Um I, I think that the relationships between the characters and the different issues that they address within this book, um, the, the issue of identity, as you said, is such a key piece of this um, and how one builds an identity and what are all the things that influence you as a person. Um, and I do think that the character of Belly is such a such a, an interesting character within this book because it's similar to to Junior you think that you know who she is yeah. because you get these little vignettes of her and then suddenly it just spins that whole percept like your whole idea of her on its head I think her character is the one that worked most for me and one of the ways I like how it's it's revealed is you really see Belly first through the eyes of the kids right. and it's later in the story that you understand why she is the way she is. Mm-hmm. And, and it reminds me, did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever read um, any of the um, the books by Madeline Langle? What were some um, of those books? Madeline Langle, she wrote these really, really awesome books um, which featured this family and they were... Um, Wrinkle in Time is probably the one that most oh, people yeah. know the yeah, best. Yeah. But in that series, there was um, a book with a character um, that I believe is called A Swiftly Tilting Planet. Um, and it it features the mother of, of Calvin, which is one of the characters that you kind of grow to love through these books. And he's he's this nerdy but very smart kid. And you get the, like, he's from a really, like, terrible home situation 
And so you think you know something about his mother, and then they reveal a story about her in these books, very, very in a very similar way. Yeah. So much so that it made me wonder if if Juno Diaz had read these books, which I suspect he probably has. Yeah. Could be um, could be a reference or an influence, right? The, yeah. So, um, but in any case, I digress. But I felt like that piece. I agree with you. I think that that character was just such a. To me, that was just artistry, the way that she was revealed. And to me, what that reminded me of is when you do grow up and when you do become an adult, you begin to understand that your your parents are humans. They have Mm -hmm. their faults. They've made their mistakes. And they, too... It, they do were adolescents once. You know, that mm-hmm. was w- one of those moments where I I remember when um, one of the first conversations I had with my mom and dad about sort of their rebellious time a little bit. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. You guys <laughs> were also rebellious as teens? And and that's sort of what I felt like. And because there is this moment in in the book where you hear uh, Lola talking about her mother and how she sees her mom. And then a little bit later um, is uh, Belly's backstory. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, that was really cool, Conrad. I, I really enjoyed that. That does come, you know, after that first third of the book, I think, if I remember correctly, or the first fourth. And it reminds me a little bit of The Fellowship of the Ring, where you, you just kind of have to get through those first chapters. Well, which is interesting, given how much he references Tolkien in this, yeah. whole, in this whole piece. But um, I think that this is... Uh, okay, so, so just in... in terms of for me to describe this book i don't want to say it's a slow burn but it is um because it's not instant gratification i think to get the to the payoff um which in some ways is a tough payoff but it's still a good one um i think you have to you have to savor this book and this is one of the few books where i did actually reread certain pieces because it was so complex and i did want to to really dive into it i didn't want to just be like tearing through the whole thing you can't because you, you can't you, and you this will is miss out especially with that changing narration right right you're gonna if um, you if you fast forward through any of the paragraphs you're gonna miss out on so much and you're gonna be a little lost but i just i just really love how the characters evolve in this and and it really is, you just see so many different perspectives of these characters because of the way that narration changes. And um, that, I just, I feel like if you read this book, you would feel differently about it. About what? Oh, oh I, if I read, if I yeah. physically read. Yeah, it could be. I mean, the the Os- or Oscar Wilde was a character I kind of ended up liking the least. Um, not that I disliked the character, but it's a character that resonated with me the least. And par- I think a few things also were playing a role here. One is um, many other people, not you, Conrad, but others did sell it to me as, oh, you got to read this. If you're kind of a nerd, you, you totally have to read this book. It's kind of, uh, it's got Actually, all Actually, your- I'm pretty sure what I said to you was that it had a lot of nerdy references, but I thought that the reason why you would enjoy it was more from the psychological profiling pr- perspective. Yeah, yeah. and, and Because that- there's a lot of different things and some of the, the events that the characters go through and some of their interactions with each, with each other. I mean, there's, there is... There is 
different different types of abuse, but abuse nonetheless. That the characters, some of the characters, including Oscar and his sister, have to deal with, and they deal with it in very different ways. Um, not just them, but other characters in their community, um, and also just in terms of of Oscar's character his his struggle with so many different issues with weight with uh his acceptance in various different social circles with his interests with his appearance with right. his culture with his language with, i mean there's the, so much going on that those are the things um that i thought you would not necessarily like, but have an interest in. Yeah, and I think that what this book does really well is the whole idea of intersectionality. And, mm-hmm. and what that means is there's many different cultural constructs at play that influence who you are. It's not just your gender. It's not just your um ethnic background it's not just your sexuality and where you're from and when you're where you're raised and the historical events but all these things mix up together to produce the person that you are and this book really explores all of those aspects it really is deconstructs identity in many of the ways that Watchmen deconstructs the comic book medium Mm -hmm. and Watchmen is uh, like Lord of the Rings is referenced uh, a lot in this book, and it's it's right up there at the very end. It's got a very major reference to the end of Watchmen and kind of tying that to the end of the story of Oscar Wilde. Um, I do like that, Conrad. I, I, I think it, it does that well. Um, but the problem here for me, I think, one is, you, you, again, it wasn't you that sold it to me like this, and I think I remembered those things that you were telling me about when I was kind of, uh, getting into the book, and I'm like, wait, why did Conrad recommend this to me? And then uh, the other thing, though, is it, it was hitting close to home, not in terms of my own personal life, but in terms of my professional life. I think mm-hmm. it was. There are moments of this book that that are pretty heavy, mm-hmm. that do get into some intense things, and this is a kid who is ridiculed and bullied, and isn't is struggling with acceptance, mm-hmm. struggling with his identity, um, and there are many. You know, I, I would come home from a long day of uh, working with a lot of different people, and some who are struggling with the same things, and and to read about it again, that was, <laughs> it's that not was tough. it's not an escape. It's something like kind of a continuation. I can I can totally see that. Yeah, so that's that's why I've got you know mixed things about this, but some of the you know I, again I love the identity, I love the history, I love the intergenerational stuff, and um, the nerd references. What's cool here, you know, the one that really sticks out to me, and I know a lot of people reference this. There's there's two that well I guess three that are kind of uh, really stick out to me. Uh, the one that this is probably the most famous quote from the story. Uh, you want to know what being an X Men feels like. Just be a smart, bookish boy of color in a contemporary U.S. ghetto, like having bat wings or a pair of tentacles growing out of your chest. That, there's so much there, Conrad. Right. Just in, in that quote alone. Um, and then tying it in to Lord of the Rings, um, again, referring to the dictator uh, Tohiro, he says... Yeah, I know, it's, it's like Sauron. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Homeboy mm-hmm. dominated Santo Domingo like it was his very own private Mordor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That is really cool. I think what's so cool about that, Lord of the Rings in some ways was meant as an allegory to World War II and all of this. And so it's kind of tying all this stuff together. And well, X-Men... Right. Well, go, no, absolutely. No, and X Men has been about a, a story about anyone who is different and ostracized and not accepted in society, and it's changed in history to be about civil rights, to uh, LGBT rights, and it, being an X Men can be you know anyone who is an outsider, and it totally uh, 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 Juno Diaz is totally speaking to that right here. I thought that was brilliant. Well, and I I mean, I think the other piece of this is that that particular description is there there are many different pieces of this book that talk about that. And it's not just the story about there there are so many different layers about identity. It's it's his description of what being American means and what it means to be to have this this other country out there Um like which one do you do you decide is your home and and how do you honor that or do you hide that do you, there's like characters going through all these different struggles to deal with identity and then there's the other layer of of another piece of identity so so Oscar is is dealing with all these issues as well as being a nerd and being an outsider yeah uh, in, in addition well to well before the right. whole sort of nerd liberation and geek culture movement. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of people say that the narrator, Junior, because I guess this character also appears in a few other Diaz stories, like short stories and things like that, that he acts as an alter ego for, for Juno Diaz himself. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting. Um, I will say just because I have, I have you know, watched some... some YouTube videos of him speaking and I, I've seen some of his like he's he's written some op-ed pieces and things like that I I would say yes Junior is is maybe his his alter ego but there's an awful lot of Oscar in him too <laughs> so. oh absolutely absolutely and uh, going along with what you're saying um, another idea coming out of this book that I really liked is the whole idea of acculturation right and, and people oftentimes think about um, what happens when you're in a different culture uh, to be a one-way street where it's it's just a, um, a, a str- what's the expression, Conrad? Uh, a melting pot where all this stuff kind of gets infused together and you assimilate. And the whole mm-hmm. idea of assimilation is the idea that you adopt this new culture. Well, the reality is something called acculturation where there are lots of different domains, whether it's the language you speak, uh, the people you hang out with, your religious beliefs, um, the type of food you like to eat, the type of music you like to eat. And in some of those areas, you could be assimilated where you just adopt the, the new culture that you're in. You could be integrated where you're blending in your old culture, your new culture, your culture of origin. Um, you could be completely separated where you kind of give up both. And uh, this this novel 
does a nice job of showing a character who in some ways is assimilated, in some ways is integrated, in some ways is separated. And all of that plays out differently. I think with his gender, with his interests, with his language, um, he's in different places in all of that. And that's the reality of what life is like for all of us, no matter where we live and uh, what place we're in. Um, that is cool. And that's that's part of what makes this book um, require more time, more care, more consideration and uh, and discussion. You know, I do think that I I am benefiting a lot just by talking to you about this book. I, I think this is one that would probably be, be good for like a class where every week or so you're having discussion as you're moving through the book compared to reading it all and then discussing it. Because I think there is so much meat here to discuss. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I honestly think that the story is almost a little too complicated to really, I I don't want to get into like a blow by blow. Um, But I do think that it is a very worthwhile story. It is, uh, quite honestly, this is one of the best books I have read in probably like the last 10 years. So I would say it's one of the most innovative and bold books I've read in a very long time. Um, so I don't, and I, you know, I know we said we would do spoilers, but I hesitate to do that too much. Well, you know, I don't really think that part of it matters. Right. To the discussion. I mean, I think if you want to get a, have a super nerdy discussion and this is a super fantastic nerd hour, um, but we don't, we just don't have the time for that. Um, no, that's what I mean. I think we could dive into this and basically hash over the whole thing. (laughs) You know, I would like to at some point talk to you about Fuku and Zafa. Yeah, and, and the whole mongoose and 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 all of that because I think that that kind of left me scratching my head a little bit. Um, I don't know if you have a quick answer to what all that means, Conrad. You know, like why it was in the book, or yeah. Um, I think that um, well, part of it is to set up the fact that you know this is this is. Fuku meaning like a curse, which is right. kind of the theme that this whole family has been cursed. Right. Um, but it's it's a cultural belief and it's to set up the premise for the rest of this story. Um, and, you know, you can't you can't have a good story without a curse, i.e. the ring, like one ring to rule them all. Sure. You know, so you, and you also have to have a counter curse. It's it's a balance of good and evil. Um, so I think that if the use of those those two things and explaining those those concepts or or ideas and superstitions to people um, within the context of this story are just there to give you a little bit of an idea of the culture that Oscar is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's a little bit of a way, uh, definitely a lot of foreshadowing, wouldn't you think? Yeah, no, I how do it's think described. so. And, and I think it, it is um, tying in um, Fuku with... Um, 
with culture, I think is important. It, it, it reminds me of um, things like panic disorder, how we, dis, how we understand panic disorder and how that's similar to Attacca de Nervos in uh, many parts of Latin America, which is a similar but different and sort of idea than panic disorder. And, and culture and language and these, these beliefs completely influence how we understand the things that happen to us. Uh, and how we perceive them. So I did like how that sort of um, uh, ran through the course of all of these stories. Um, so no, and and I like Conrad how you're linking it to Lord of the Rings and Sauron and, and well, it's that, on. but it's um, I think it's it, it's and he mentions it first. So this yeah, is the right base. The this is the base. This is this is what you know. This is this is something that is very very deep. They can't get away from it, even if they want to ignore it. Um, so I think it's it's there to to set you up and to basically have a little bit of understanding of what they're coming from. Like it's built in and woven in throughout the story. Yeah, um, absolutely. And you know, it's a way even and they describe it even as a way to describe some of the horrific things that happen um, in the Dominican Republic uh, with Trujillo. Um, and it's, there is a powerlessness, clearly, that people would feel dealing with that kind of a dictatorship. So in some ways, those superstitions and concepts are a way not to explain it away, but to basically say, oh, well, we can't do anything about it. <laughs> it's just our bad luck and the curse. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I actually thought that that was just such an amazing way to to start out the story because it just it kind of set everything in motion and then you don't even know where it's going and then it, he ties it all together by the very end um yeah so so that's why i think those things are the mongooses are a t- totally other conversation <laughs> so so i don't know that i have a full answer on that one um, but I think it's, you know, any, any culture, um, has a mythology that's related to it and there's a reason why it's there and why people rely on it to explain things. Well, I'd say w- one last thing. Uh, well, I've got two last things to say about, um, Oscar Wow. Uh, one is it really made me appreciate uh, the geek culture that we live in now and kind of uh, going back to our 50th episode when we were talking about what is a geek and how so much of this has changed um, over time and has changed over the past few decades. Um, Conrad, gosh, I mean, could you imagine this character, Oscar Wilde, living in this world right now? Oh, he'd be in heaven. Oh, my goodness. His ability to connect with other peers who have similar interests and to have those interests validated, whether it's his love of Akira or his uh, appreciation of Stephen King um, or to see a Watchmen film made. You know, the guy had an original Watchmen trade. Um, It really just made me feel very fortunate to live in this world now um, compared to growing up in this other time and era. Well, the other thing I think that Oscar would really love if he lived in this time is the fact that there's a lot of geek women out there. Yeah. Um that that you know are part of part of the community. 
because he seems, you know, more than most of the characters, seems to understand a lot more that's going on in terms of, of those things than, for example, Junior. So, you know, I, I yeah, I think it would be an interesting thing to drop to drop Oscar into the geek world of today. And anything, any other big things you wanted to say about Oscar? Yeah, those are yeah. the, the big things. Yeah, I think that's good. All right. So are you ready to venture into the infinite crossover chamber? Let's do it. Let's venture into that giant crossover chamber of ours. Um, the crossover chamber. What's in the crossover chamber today, Ali? Pew, pew, pew. Okay, I'm delayed on the sound. I don't know what to do. Um, Conrad, I've been slower on these sound effects for our crossover chamber lately. It's, it's, are, you, are you in the, the time vortex of winter right now? I think that might be it. Gosh, we've had so many blizzards and it's been so cold. Maybe that's kind of the brain freeze is, uh, is reducing my uh, auditory cortex here. Uh, I don't know. I've just been sitting here eating Snoopy snow cones. So oh. I, I don't know. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> awesome. Snoopy snow guns. So um, thank you again for that, Justin Weathersby. Uh, in the Infinite Crossover Chamber today, Conrad, we've got uh, Oscar Wow uh, versus Ready Player One, the novel by Ernest Klein, previously reviewed and discussed on episode three of Nerd Hour back in... On February third, two thousand fourteen, over over a year ago now, Conrad, can you believe that? No, uh, it feels like it was much shorter, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Like I remember that discussion really well. Mm. Um, so uh, we're we're debating these two books. They both have a lot of nerdy references, and nerdy references play a core part of the story for both of these books. Our question today, dear nerdlings, which book better uses its nerdy references to propel the story forward? Um, Conrad, uh, remind us again, without spoiling the story too much, Ready Player One, what was that book about and how did it use nerdy references? Oh, really, Ali? Come on. Hey, uh, you know, for the 0.1% of the audience right. who hasn't read. So, Ready, Ready Player Pro. One by Ernest Klein features a character, Wade Watts, uh, who is a gamer in not... A, Kind of a, I would say it's a dystopic future. No, yeah, it's a dystopic. I mean, yeah, yeah, people, yeah, I think. And and he and he <laughs> is on a quest uh, to con- to to be the ruler of the oasis, which has been left without um, the the head of oasis, the developer of this utopia, um, which is basically a virtual reality utopia, um, has died, and and in his will. Like a Willy Wonka kind of yeah, like a totally like a golden ticket. So, so the idea is that all these different gamers have to get through different things and solve puzzles and levels to to ultimately rule the oasis. Um, And so, part of it is that the developer had uh, grew up in the eighties or was more of a teenager in the eighties, and so all the the different clues are related to different types of geek culture like gaming movies all music all that kind of thing 
film. Um, yeah, well, you mentioned movies. Same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that, all of those nerdy references are um, sort of integral to these major um, kind of like stages or challenges that the character has to go right. through to get to the to the boss level. So, yeah, so it's almost like the more trivia you know about geek culture in the the 80s and 90s the more likely you are to be able to solve the puzzles. And I think I think that's where I inter- um ultimately came down on Ready Player 1. I thought it was an incredibly entertaining book to read. I had a lot of fun with that story. I I think it is more than just nerdy references. I think um, Ernest Klein has a nice way of honoring and validating the way these different genres and worlds work. And I love the idea of when you're in one part, uh, when you're in sort of the magic universe, um, and if your spaceship breaks down there, you have to hire a magician to come and fix it, even if you're piloting like the Millennium Falcon or something like that. Um, I thought I thought he did a nice job of bringing these worlds together in a way that really validates why we love these things and the nostalgia that we have for them. Right. My problem with Ready Player One, I didn't think uh, my partner New End would care about it at all. If you aren't um, very familiar with all of those references of of nerdy video game film culture of the 80s it's really doesn't it's not that interesting of a story you have to be um you have to be really well versed in that nerdy culture to get the book Uh, i think i think honestly i think that's not necessarily true because I think he does, he almost over-explains what some of those references are about. So I, I could see people not being into it overall because it is just so much about gaming and things like that. So you, I think you, I think I agree with you. I think you kind of have to love some of the world that he's in to enjoy the book. Um, but I also think to some extent you kind of have to the same, do that as well with Oscar Wilde. I don't think so. I think they use them in different ways, but I think Oscar Wilde uses the nerdy references. And some of those references, even as I was reading it, some of them are pretty darn obscure. And some of them don't, if if you're not the fan, you're not going to catch all of them. Like he makes like a lot of references to different Stephen King um, stories to Dune. There's a lot of Stephen King references. To Dune, to The Matrix, um, obviously to Middle Earth. Like there's... There's a ton in there that if you are not necessarily versed in that universe or those universes, since he uses so many, you're going to miss some of those references. And that's yeah, the thing. And that's the thing. Like a little, eh, I do think it does. Like fear is a mind killer. A Dune line is mentioned many times in right. Oscar Wilde. If you don't get that reference, I don't think it really takes away from the story too much. I really I'm not, don't. I'm not saying it takes away from it. I'm saying that you're not going to... He uses the references that he uses very, very deliberately. And he, they add another layer, I guess. They do. You're not, you're not going to get all that you need to out of the book, I think. Just saying. But, but I, uh, so I think So I think you're right. There's much more that you'll appreciate in Oscar Wilde if you know these nerdy references. The problem with Ready Player One, like let's take the – there's a, a, a really uh, visually interesting scene that involves uh, the DeLorean from Back right. to the Future. And all that, – that entire scene 
is really dependent upon, or that passage, I should say, is so, you know, it's interesting. I'm calling it a scene because it feels like a (laughs) movie in my head. Um, That whole passage and chapters dependent upon you knowing and understanding and being able to recall all the imagery associated with this stuff from Back to the Future. If you are not a fan of that stuff, if you haven't seen it, that whole scene isn't going to really make a lot of sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the reason why Ready Player One works is it evokes a lot of imagery that's already in your mind. The thing about Oscar Wow is... If you don't get those references, you're not going to get as much, but you're not going to miss out on that whole chapter. Maybe, but I also think that Ready Player One, I mean, obviously we're talking about two very different types of stories. Ready Player <laughs> yeah, One, yeah. I mean, we are, like, they're extraordinarily different, but Ready Player One, you, it is, it's almost built in a video game format, even in how he's telling the story. Yeah. Um, and the way he uses the references, like... I, you're not you're not going to there there are going to be certain things like he he I don't want to say he tries to be all things to all people but he kind of does um he's like okay I'm going to do this the, this is going to be a section about gaming and trivia and okay this will be my John Hughes section do you know what I mean like like yeah. he he kind of uses uh he cross-pollinates with so many different types of geek genres that I think it's like Maybe that that's part of the appeal is that there's a little something for everybody there, um, but you're right. I suppose um, that I don't with, think there's without, something for everyone in Ready Player One. I, I really don't. I think I'm if, saying everyone in the geek world, dear. Um, <laughs> well, you don't it, think so? <laughs> no, I think you've got to be um, a big video game fan or at least have played a lot of those 80s video games yeah sure there's um there's some music stuff there and yeah there's um there's some 80s film geek stuff there but it's so it i think it really speaks to people who grew up playing those 80s arcade games all right well then the question is do you think the use of that reference propels that story forward more so than Brief Wonder's Life so, of Oscar Wilde? I think Ready Player One can't exist without all those nerdy references. Okay. Um, it's just not possible. It's like trying to do Jurassic Park without dinosaurs. It's it's not going to happen. Um, Oscar Wow could work without the nerdy references. You'd lose some of the... Um, You'd lose some of what makes it, what takes it to um, a different level. I think the nerdy references in Oscar Wow just add a lot of emotional punch, like that X Men quote I mentioned earlier. Um, that like really just spoke to me. You know, you want to know what an X Men feels like? Just be a smart bookish boy of color in a contemporary U.S. ghetto. I think it. It ties an experience that, you know, not everyone is going to have the experience that um, that Oscar Wilde has in this story. But the nerdy references help you to understand what that experience must be like. Anyone who's read and loves the X-Men stories will m- immediately be able to identify with our, our title character in that moment. Or anyone who's 
read or watched Lord of the Rings will understand what it must have felt like to live under this dictator's rule. So the nerdy references make what feels alien much more relatable and personal. Is that propelling the story forward? I think in some ways, yes, it is. Okay. You and I are in agreement on this one. I just was well, curious. I don't, I don't know what I'm voting for. What are, what are you voting for here? Oh, I'm voting for Oscar Wilde um, only because I think that Ready Player One, to me, reads like somebody who's a fan of all of these things and wanted to write a story about them and, and nope. really loves gaming culture and kind of wanted to throw every single thing that he loves into the story, which he does. And I totally think that that's awesome. Yeah. But I don't. It's fun. It's, it is, it's awesome it is fun, fun, but in terms of actually telling the story, it does feel like it's almost like a, a list of this is these are the things that I love, so I'm going to put them in here. Yeah, um, and I do think that from a visual perspective, um, you just said that it sounded it felt like you were reading a movie script, and I yes. think that that's exactly what it reads like. And there's a reason; <laughs> it's because it's probably going to be a movie. Yeah, um, it is going to be a movie. And so, I just think that propelling the story forward, mm, yeah, it does. But it's kind of like the story exists just to have the references. Yeah. So yeah. you could also it's sort say of a that. tautology. We're going around in right. circles here. Right. And I and I feel like Oscar Wow, he is using the references, as you said, to describe certain things and um he is using science fiction stories and references in order to maximize the impact of what is going on in his characters' lives. Yeah. And to, I, and to describe emotional responses and to, to describe certain social situations. Um and and there's so many different things that he does, like to describe the dictator, and it's it's actually a, just a genius way to do these things, which you know, I think is part of why I adored this story. It does bring everything full circle, where fantasy is uh, fantasy is about these stories of good and evil and, and virtues and 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 all of that, and science fiction is used to uh, for social commentary. This is now bringing it full circle. Where, okay, here's X-Men. X-Men's been the story about being alien, about being different. and About, about, th- about being an American, but also being from the Dominican Republic. Exactly. And being a, it's, and it's being a nerd. And, and being a nerd in this, like, weird school in Patterson, New Jersey. You know? Like absolutely. It's, and it's, it's taking Lord of the Rings, which was used to talk about World War II and the evil there and now tying it back in to talking about living under this this dictator and what that was like in the Dominican Republic. That is really cool, Conrad. Um, not too many people do that well. We have talked about our shared dislike of stuff like um, – uh, Big Bang Theory and how it's using a lot of these references for humor and kind of evoking them, but not necessarily validating. I think you you said it well in episode 50 when it's laughing at instead of laughing with. And um, I think Juno Diaz, what he does so well here is he is using these stories and talking about why they mean so much to him. And in that process, it helps us to understand and relate to 
the experience he had growing up. That's what a good story is all about. It gets us into the mind and helps us understand the perspective from this character. And these nerdy references facilitate that. So you're absolutely right. This is going 100% warp nine towards Oscar Wilde. <laughs> all right. Well, then I would like to to jump out of the crossover chamber and start talking about our top five. Oh, our top five. This is this was uh, an emotional one for me to put together, uh, Conrad. So we're talking top five influential media. And this is not influential, influential media in society or the world or culture. It's top five personal media or media that influenced us personally, that had some impact in our life. Um, uh, Juno Diaz probably was influenced by a lot of the media that he talks about from Watchmen to X-Men to Fantastic Four, Planet Marvel of the Comics, Apes. Planet of the Apes, um, so much Akira, so much stuff there that he talks about. And um, same thing with Ernest Klein and Ready Player One. I mean, he's obviously a major fan of uh, a lot of the stuff that he talks about. He is that character, the Willy Wonka type character in that book who um, was influenced by 80s culture. So you and I wanted to create our own list that shares some of our really influential media, the stuff that impacted our life. How did you go about creating your list, Conrad? Um, this was a really tough list to, um, to come up with. I was going to, to list all the things that the UK ever put out ever in literature and film. <laughs> Are you making fun song. of me, Conrad? I might be. No. Um, no, but honestly, that is kind of, there's so many different things. Um, and I tried to pull, and it was so hard to pull like one out of sort of each category. Um, but I think I, I made a pretty good, a good go at it. But honestly, this list could be a very, very long list if we allowed it to be. It'd be like top 100, right? <laughs> uh, it, it is really hard to make it um, top five. And, you know, please, listeners, send us your top five on this. I, I really, really do want to hear from um, from our listeners because I think it's, you know, the, this top five is kind of about the stuff that contributed to your origin story. And um, that is uh, one of my favorite things in life. And one of my favorite things about my job and just in life in general is um, hearing about the things that people love and love to do and the stuff that has influenced them. I, I just I think it's so cool to understand each person's story. And my top five was the, the stuff that ended up on my top five was stuff that was um, a huge part of my story and a huge part of the, what got me to this moment right now um, and why I wanted to do Nerd Hour with you, Conrad. So with that, let's go with um, let's go with no. number five. All right. You, you go. You shoot first. My number five is every science fiction book ever made. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my top five is a science fiction short story. It is the first science fiction story I ever read. And I read this in school. It's Flowers for Algeron, written a short story written by Daniel Keyes. Um, this was a book I read in 
class. Um, I can't remember what grade I read it in. It was in middle school at some point. And I had discovered science fiction prior to this point, but I'd never really read a science fiction story. And this is a story about what happens if um, if, artific- if intelligence can be artificial, ar- artificially inflated and changed and what would happen to an individual if that occurs and I think the questions it raised were really interesting to me and it was the first time I understood the power of science fiction to comment on reality and once I connected those dots that's kind of when I got hooked on science fiction and um as I get to later in this list, science fiction kind of led me to my career and everything I do. So uh, it all started for me with Flowers for Algeron. Hmm. Um, that's cool. They actually, <laughs> no, but did you read it in class? That's just sort of a, was that like an assigned? It book? was an assigned required story. We read it, we discussed it, um, and it was awesome. It was one of those first books I read in school that really spoke to me and I was excited about and I actually read. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so this this is a little bit of your all-inclusive of all English things ever <laughs> list, um, but number five is PBS, uh, which is not necessarily a media, but it is a media sort of channel. Yeah, and yeah, totally. part of why I picked this is that I was sitting here like thinking about all the things that influenced me. And as you know, I, I grew up in a place that didn't have a lot of television reception. And so I was especially thinking of different sci-fi things and cool things that influenced me. Well, I realized that all of that stuff is stuff I watched on PBS. Mm. So Doctor Who, yeah. um, the the James Burke um, the wonderful James Burke was was on PBS. Um, the Muppets, um, yep. not and Sesame Street, and all that fun, you know, all the Jim Henson world, and all these things started very early on. So when I was very young, um, I remember especially Doctor Who being this really super weird show, um, <laughs> but fascinating, and it had like this weird little robot dog. And all this this stuff going on. And I remember really falling in love with that. And other things came later, but that has to be my number five. Um, and I still love PBS. So I, I, I think that's totally legit, Conrad. Totally can pick a channel. And no, it, and it, it's, it, it's, it encompasses a lot, but I, I feel like just the programming on that just was... was it's the unique. Platform. It was unique, and you it don't was the get plat- it elsewhere. And it was the platform for exploring different things, you know. So yeah. So yeah. I do remember. I mean, I was always into reading, always, but seeing different different things on PBS, especially like Nova and. Um, oh, absolutely! Yeah, and, Nova. and then watching, you know, and watching Carl Sagan, like all that stuff, just opened up new worlds. Yeah, the so, original Cosmos. And were you a reading Rainbow Kid? Oh, I was definitely a reading yeah. Rainbow Kid. So I mean, so much was going on there. PBS was really the uh, the house of ideas, and mm-hmm. uh, this this place where you could go to and learn and discover and explore in a way 
in which you couldn't elsewhere. And not only was this uh, was PBS around well before the explosion of cable and all of that, but uh, I, I, you have mentioned so many times that very idea that there wasn't much TV um, right. th- that got to your home, but the stuff that always was there, um, the stuff that was present evermore was <laughs> PBS. So, no, that's, I, I, I love that pick, Conrad. Yeah. I'm going to have you go with your number four. Um, my number four, I, this was tough. I was trying to pick different things out of, you know, various genres. Um, so I, I picked X-Men comics. Um, and I know that that's pretty broad. Um, but the X-Men storyline in those specific comics, you might think that I would pick Wonder Woman, but I think um, I, I'm also trying to pick things at different points while I was growing up. And this mm. was definitely in my, I, I don't want to call them tween years, but definitely in, kind of in my tween years, I suppose, um, where I remember just reading these stories and just being totally fascinated by them and, and feeling as if they described a lot of the different things going on and how I felt at that time. Um, and so it has to be on my list because it led to my love, uh, you know, I, I loved, uh, DC comics and that kind of thing, but this led me to a lot of other interesting worlds in the worlds of graphic novels and comics. And it definitely mm. led me directly to Watchmen. Mm. So yeah, I, I have to, I have to put X-Men on there. I, I came very close to putting an X-Men comic on my top five my like very, a specific a specific issue yeah yeah my very first comic was wolverine um number <laughs> wolverine. Fi- <laughs> it was like wolverine number 50 something um valley of death was the cover and if huh. i google it i could tell you exactly what issue number it was but the first comic i ever bought was that comic and it was x-men and there's a reason for that and that was because i watched x-men the animated series and uh, i always was fascinated by those characters so uh you and i have talked about how much we love X-Men on various episodes, especially our X-Men Days of Future Past uh, review that we did last May. And uh, completely, I completely support that. Um, did you have a favorite series or run of the comics or um, storyline? Th- oh, man. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's kind of inter- like I have to admit because I haven't followed um, – um, I haven't followed the comics in so long, mm-hmm. um, but I would say that a bit of um, what they're what they're dealing with in Days of Future Past was a storyline I particularly liked, even though they mm-hmm. messed it up in Days of Future Past. Sure. Um, so the lead up and introduction of um, of that character uh, and and some of the stuff that we didn't end up getting to see in Days of Future Past. Right. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. I'm blanking on her name again, Conrad. Uh, Kitty Pride, you mean? Kitty Pride. Yeah. So the introduction of Kitty Pride. Yes. Probably, so that was yeah. definitely one of my just that whole time period was like I just couldn't get enough of it. Cool. So, um, although. You know, like just overall, I loved X Men generally, um, but I have friends that were were totally into, you know, specific storylines. Um, 
And, you know, I think that it's just one of those stories that there's a reason why it could go on and on forever. And some people argue, argue that it shouldn't. Um, but I understand why it's had such longevity. Now, I think X-Men is one of those stories that needs to always be there because it, it is it so speaks to these experiences of feeling different, whether it's about being an adolescent, whether it's, you know, all the stuff we talked about before. X-Men, um, X-Men's fantastic. My number four is something I don't I don't know if I've talked about once on this show, uh, which is kind of surprising to me. I may have mentioned it here and there, but my number four is Street Fighter Two: The World huh. Warrior. Now, many listeners will probably remember this as a uh, arcade game that came out in the early '90s. Uh, it might have played Street Fighter Two, The World Warrior, uh, you know, Super Street Fighter Two, Street Fighter Two Turbo, Street Fighter Two T- Championship Edition, Street Fighter Alpha, Street Fighter Alpha Two, Street Fighter Alpha Three. Uh, the list goes on. There was this ongoing joke that they c- just couldn't break it into uh, Street Fighter. 3. Three, but we eventually got there, and then we got Street Fighter Four. There's been a lot of Street Fighters, but it's basically this arcade fighting game, and it's Ryu and Ken and E Honda and Zangief and Dalsum and Guile and all of these different characters. And you might be asking yourself, why is this in your top five most influential media? Well, it was a game I that my brother was really into and he was always much better than me at it and uh, so much in fact that Capcom the makers of the game approached him after he won all these tournaments at Golfland in Northern California where all these arcade games were and offered him a job <laughs> to to work for them in, in the Street Fighter department um, he was really into Street Fighter but he, I have many, many fond memories of him and I playing this game and us, my brother teaching me that, um, you know, this is a game of skill and strategy that you can learn, you can improve, you can practice and just kind of like, like the Karate Kid, you can become this world warrior in this game. And I was never a kid who was good at basketball despite my height. Um, I wasn't a kid that was good at soccer. I wasn't very coordinated. Um, I didn't really play that stuff. But I, with practice, with support, with encouragement, got really good at this game. And as much as I felt bad at not being a very athletic kid, it was always a point of pride that whenever um, I got together with friends at the arcade, that I could really kick their butts in Street mm-hmm. Fighter 2. And that I could stand against these, you know, people much older than me. And I, I was pretty good at the at that game. And it kind of taught me that there are many areas in life that um, with practice, you can get pretty good at them even though um, it might seem intimidating at first. And so that's really the lesson that Street Fighter taught me. And to this day, I have a lot of love for this franchise from, you know, um, Capcom versus Marvel and and many of the other games. I, I never really got into some of the other fighting games out there like Tekken and Virtual Fighter. I did play a little Mortal Kombat. Um, but Street Fighter has a lot of nostalgic value, not just for all the time that my brother and I spent playing this game, but all the lessons it taught me about life. So number two, uh, my number four is Street Fighter 2. That being said, 
every movie based on this has sucked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really I was bad. about to. I was about to ask how what how you felt about that. But. They're horrible. There's some good animes that have come out of Street Fighter, but the the theatrical films have been horrid. Ugh. Um, but that's my number four pick. What is your number three pick? My number three pick is um is music and not just music broadly speaking <laughs> it's actually a, interestingly enough number three is music on mine as well and it's a bit broadly speaking to some extent but hmm. continue when we well, will talk about this my number three is a album and i was really debating between two albums that have had a huge impact in my life and i went with uh what was not originally my pick and my number three pick is green day's dookie Uh, this is an album that came out i think when i was in fifth or sixth grade is when dookie came out and it was one of those first albums that um, i really remember vividly listening to a lot and listening to it over and over again and feeling like this is a new different kind of music that other people that older people just won't get it was one of those first albums that um, I really got, but my brother didn't care for. My brother was, you know, 10 years older than me, so we were different generations. And it felt like it was something that was uniquely mine and my friends. And Green Day as a band is a, a band I really admire and respect because their, their voice has changed and evolved as they've gotten older and as they've had different life experiences. And Green Day, as I listened to it in middle school, is different from the Green Day I listened to in high school and is different from the Green Day I listened to in college and then in grad school with American Idiot and, and all of that. It's, it's a band that has continued to evolve. And uh, they were right there at my origin of when I was beginning to discover my own love of music and the type of music that spoke to me. And they're a band I continue listen to, listening to now. So a lot of my, uh, a lot of the, the type of music that has, has spoken to me really has its beginning with Green Day and beginning with that album. Well, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, your, your number three is also a music? Mine's like, music, but it's, I have to admit, I, I had this on because I had to. Um, music is so important to me. It's been important to me just from the get-go and but for me to pick a certain album is very hard Mm. um so i picked a few different artists which i'll throw out there um you know it's it's interesting as you get older i think you tend to listen to a lot of the music you listen to when you were younger you don't necessarily introduce a lot of new things yeah after college after college you just kind of stop yeah and it's what you and i were talking about just in terms of like forming and and i think listening to certain albums will definitely evoke like a certain memory or nostalgia or things like that music's Um, like a time machine it takes you back so i had to pick just in terms of the album that I think of, especially when I think of my 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 rebellious teenage years, uh, was London Calling by The Clash. Um, but The Clash generally, I adore them, and they were just this huge thing, and led to all these other other bands that I ended up loving, and some of which were were influenced by The Clash. But um, just you know, the, it's it's something that if I hear any song off that album, I'm I'm immediately put back 
yeah. into that time in my life. Um, That's kind of how I feel about Dookie. Yeah, is, and yeah. and you know some some of it is you know look I. I Grew up in a tiny little town in Vermont, so it's kind of you know funny that the Clash is just like, oh yeah, I love the Clash. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it seems a little silly, um, but there was just something that I really loved about that album, and um, it was it just just to me it was a bit of my comfort music. Um, it's still to some extent my com- my comfort music, so so that has to be there. Um, there's also, but but later on, there was also Elliot Smith and Tom Waits and these other songwriters um, that I can't leave out of the mix. Um, at some point, I should just come up with like a long list of of songs I love <laughs> for our show, um, and it, and the list can go on honestly forever. I have an enormous music collection. I do continue to listen to new artists, but there is something about um, certain albums, especially then. Now you're not listening. I don't think people are listening to albums as much. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, well, uh, being able to buy songs song at a time has, has changed, kind of changed that whole that thing. You know, um, we should at some point have a nerdy music episode, and we yeah. can invite Randy, friend of the show, Randy Nason, onto the show because he and you have such similar music and whenever or musical taste. And whenever we start talking about music, I feel like my my nerd cred is so nothing compared to yours and Randy's. Um, but no, that's a great album, and that's an album you've spoken about many times on and off the show. Well, and so, yeah, I'll throw that out there. And you know, even even coming up with this list, I was I was kind of like, it was so hard for me to choose. I, I just couldn't I couldn't choose I couldn't choose just one. So, um, in any case, I'll I'll just throw that out there. And I do think generally, I feel like music is a big influencer for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, which and, and, I guess we didn't have quite the mind meld, but I Dookie is a solid album, and I see why. Especially, I mean, you're a little bit younger than me, a lot younger than me. Not <laughs> so, a lot. No, but that particular album at that time um, really resonated with a lot of people, and that's their soundtrack for that time. Yeah, um, it's it's so, the right. That's that's the thing about music. It's um, the right time, the right place, the right mood. All of that can really just uh, can solidify a lot of your tastes and influence that for so long. Um, so yeah, cool. Okay, well, we had a musical somewhat mind of a mind meld melody yes. <laughs> for number three. Um, my number two is incredibly different, Conrad. Um, oh really? What is it? Yeah. What could so, it possibly be? My number two is the IBM. It's stickers. It's stickers, isn't it? No, Sorry. not stickers. <laughs> I loved scratch and sniffs. Um, really, watermelon was always my favorite. But uh, my number two are IBM PC compatible computers. Huh. Now, also, this is something that I've probably not talked about on this show, but um, if you, the late 80s and 90s, also really influenced by my brother, um, is a time when we really um, got into computers a lot. Uh, my family owned a Commodore 64, which was a computer from the 80s, and it, it was uh, really memorable for a lot of reasons. There's Commodore 64, I think, is mentioned in Ready Player One, and it's a, it's a computer that had a lot of really great video games on it but i didn't pick the commodore 64 what i did pick is the 
PC-compatible computer in general. And the whole idea that, you know, IBM made these personal computers and the platform was opened up so that there was, you could get, you could make your own third-party Put your pieces together and create this computer and install DOS on it or and later you can install Windows, Windows 3.1 and then Windows 95. But the, what happened with the IBM compa- PC compatible computer, I have so many memories of my brother and I going to Fry's Electronics in Northern California and buying these different components hmm. and learning about, well, this is a hard drive and this is what the hard drive does and the hard drive connects to the motherboard and the output comes out through this video card and now there's this new thing called a sound card and Sound Creative Labs have cre- has created this Sound Blaster 16 and um, there's this new thing that allows you to have sound on external speakers and not the internal PC speaker. And um, just seeing the evolution from 286s to 386s to 486s and then Pentium computers and each year or so saving up money to upgrade our computer and the, being able to see the change in what's possible now and going from those classic video games, Wing Commander 1, 2, and 3, and seeing the change in power. And then once the internet came on and buying a modem, boy, I learned so many geeky skills from learning how to use DOS to what a BIOS is that, that were so basic back then and are just so incredibly helpful now. Now as stuff seems much more hidden and easy, when stuff goes awry, it's those basic skills I developed 20, 25 years ago using these computers and building our own computers that I rely on. It, it was a foundation of how I approach technology and my understanding of technology um, completely influenced my origin as a geek. And, you know, nowadays kids talk about building your own computer, but it's not quite the same as it was back then. And and even that wasn't quite the same as what it meant in the 70s. Um, so uh, the it, it wouldn't have been possible uh, for me without that IBM PC compatible computer. So I got a lot well, of love for those machines. And it's also really cool because your brother is older. So yeah. he, he was guiding you through that whole knowledge gaining process. Oh, I felt like he was my Gandalf throughout right, that whole you wouldn't, time. You wouldn't know. Like, I don't know that you necessarily would have been exposed to all of that. Like, it's not like something that your peer would necessarily expose you to at that point in time because you no. did need somebody who was older and had a little bit more because it wasn't as accessible then, right? No, it wasn't. And, and it also ties into my dad, too, because my dad would give us permission to bring his PC from work home for the weekend so we could play around with it. And every now and then my brother and I would make big mistakes and it would be a big problem on Monday when my dad's <laughs> computer is not working. But um, it part, it's, it's the intersectionality again. Growing up in Silicon Valley, having access to a lot of these things, having a dad who was working in the tech industry who had these computers at work, having a brother who was more knowledgeable about it than I was, all this stuff kind of mixing together. Um, Yeah, absolutely. My brother played a big role. Age was important. Time was important. Um, Just uh, that was a wondrous time in my life, Conrad. I I really have a lot of fond memories of that. That's cool. Um. My uh, number two is something that I know will cause you a little bit of agita. 
What? Um, it'll it will it will, um, but it is it is the Star Wars, um, initial trilogy. Yeah, well, I I kind of expected this to be on your list. To be completely okay. honest with you, um, um uh, it's it, and I thought a lot about this, and you know what? If if I had to pick, and there was like a couple of things, Star Trek would also be on this too. By the way, um, but I picked Star Wars very for a very a few reasons um and because at the time you're a nerf herder yeah that too um (laughs) because when i was growing up and with my siblings it was such an event these films and it was so much a part of you know the different um the games that we, we would play the action figures that we would have um i do remember like like pretending like i think it was like with my sister um and and one of our friends was playing like Han Solo and the only line that we could remember was like open the top hatch um you know so <laughs> like there was all these different things um that were involved that i remember that were related to the star wars films and i know there's all the controversy surrounding it and the surrounding the the sequels i am looking very much looking forward to the new film that is coming out this year. The Force um, Awakens. The f- I am not looking forward to that title, but um, <laughs> it was it was such a cultural influence and just in terms of the different films that I, as I said, like I picked a lot of these things because it led me to different things. And I do have to pick that as this this love of science fiction films and the idea of space a space opera to some extent. Um, it really uh, played into my love of mythology. And as I got older, I could see a little bit more why. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't quite understand as much why it resonated so much um, with with me. But um, it's... And it's still one of those things. It, it gives me... I, I know even watching it now, there's things, of course, you notice, but... Um, it most certainly is one of the cornerstones in the person that I became and the things that I really loved. Um, so, so it, there it is, Ollie. There it is on the list. Um, um, I'm, I totally get that. I think if I had grown up in an era in which those films were being released, um, I think it would have had a similar impact on me. And, you know, that is the kind of impact it had on my brother. My brother remembers going to see it. And that's it. the thing. I remember seeing, I was really super, super young um, yeah. when the second film was released. And I remember seeing that in the theater with my sister and my dad. Yeah. Um, and being terrified because I was pretty young at the time, you know, like I was tiny. So, um, but probably my dad desperately wanted to see that in the theater and was really excited as my guest. So. Yeah, and I mean, I I have memories of renting or borrowing the Star Wars movies from my local library and watching them on VHS. That's kind of the the, the memory I have of it. And what what I think is so cool even, about Star Wars also also even the the well so Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi um, I saw in the theater. But do you, like and you and I have talked about this at some point because it is kind of. Uh, terrible, but I mean, aside from the the Star Wars holiday special, but do you remember the the Ewok weird TV miniseries? No, you know, someone else recently mentioned this to me, and I have not seen that. Oh well, because at the time, so it was like 
you'd be all excited because they were being released on TV and they were really these like very, they were, they were little mini series that followed, um, these kids on Endor, um, that were hanging out with the Ewoks <laughs> and they were actually pretty dark, but they were, they were pretty terrible, but there was just whole, there was this whole like sort of culture surrounding that, um, around Star Wars that was just there. So I think it's a little different, as you said, if it was released, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But. No, I mean, what I was going to say is, I think Star Wars, the, the term paradigm shift gets tossed around a lot now. And I think it's, uh, I believe it's Thomas Kuhn I, in uh, the, structure and, the Structure of Scientific Revolutions. I think, I don't know if his first name is Thomas, so I'm blanking on that. But Kuhn writes in this book that there becomes a, a time when um, our scientific theories, we're, we're trying to squeeze in new scientific findings into old existing theories and they don't fit anymore. And you need a paradigm shift, a shift in how you see everything and that's when scientific revolutions happen and I think a similar kind of thing happened with there was a cinematic type of paradigm shift with Star Wars mm-hmm. where what's the genius of George Lucas in those original films is he he wove together many aspects of mythology and science fiction and fantasy and uh, different cultures and you know created this whole idea of the force which is an integration of so many different aspects of philosophy um, and and mindfulness and meditation it's just so much stuff into a film and then made it seem so fresh and new and it influenced so many films to come and part of it again was based on uh, we talked about this in our Oscars episode last year with our crossover between Star Wars and 2001 A Space Odyssey how much of the visual look George Lucas was inspired by by 2001 all that stuff it's an incredibly influential piece of cinema um, that was based on so much other stuff, but then created this fresh perspective. So, um, yeah, Star Wars has to be on one of our lists here. Yeah. Um, so, cool. So there it is. <laughs> there it is. Um, I'm going to have you go with your number one, Conrad. Oh, wait, was your, your number two was the computers, right? My number two was the yeah. IBM PC-compatible computer. Um, so, so number one, I'm going to have a similar problem that I did with my, my number three. Okay. Um, and, and clearly, I love books. And books are such a huge part of, like, they, they built me, I would say. In, in, but um, if I go back to the deepest, darkest parts of my, my childhood... I would say probably the the two series of books would be um, uh, would be C.S. Lewis's um, Narnia series, mm. mm-hmm. um, and then oddly enough, just because they were <laughs> they were friends um, with interesting um, opposing. Um, Opposing viewpoints at time, um, but I've got to go with Lord of Ra- the yeah, Rings by uh, Rings. by Tolkien. So <laughs> you you knew it was going to be on there, right? Well, you, um, you you when you said opposing friends with opposing viewpoints, I was yeah. like, oh, they're talking about Tolkien. It's now, and, and this is the thing: there's like so many books that I could point to, like Dracula and Beowulf, and and you know, there's so many books I can throw in there um, in terms of the ones that I remember from my childhood. But those are the two series that I just remember being um, just sort of entering into a different world and having me look at a world at the world very differently after I finished reading them. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly as you look back and, and there are problems with both of those books and certain things that they present, um, which I think when you're, when you're a little kid, you don't always, again, don't fully understand that. Um, but I do remember at the time I was just like, are there more books like these out there? Cause I think I have to read all the books in all the world <laughs> and must so, consume all must, the books. must consume. Um, so that, that had to be my number one. What, what was it about these books that made you see the world differently after reading them? Well, I think at least with because I was so young and and keep in mind, I mean, I think that this is and and I see this uh, with my little sister, too, because she's reading books that are are ahead of her reading level is very high, but she might not necessarily understand where all the points of view and stories are coming from. So I remember reading the Narnia series when I was very young. I think I was probably I want to say maybe I was eight Um. And at the time, uh, there was just some, some stuff going on just with my family. And it was this really fascinating universe. And it was talking about, um, because at the time I was, I was very into mythology and Greek and Roman mythology. And so it was basically resonating using a lot of those stories. Like, so a lot of the characters, especially in the, the C.S. Lewis books, you know, they talk about, um, you know, uh, fawns and, you know, different and there's like and Bacchus is in some of them like there's it was it was using all these mythologies and basically placing ordinary kids into the middle of the stories and so as a kid it was just like this amazing it was the Harry Potter to me of that time mm. like I see why Harry Potter um is and that's actually one of my I, I can't say that it was an influencer, but it's definitely one of my comfort series. Like this is Harry Potter. I reread I've reread it like a few times. Um and I think that that's going to be the series for a lot of kids who grew up when that came out. Yeah. Um but I think that it was the idea that there were whole worlds out there that you couldn't even perceive. And yes, it's a story and it's a fantasy story, but it made the world feel a lot bigger to me. And I think ah. that that's, and the same thing with the Lord of the Rings. And oh. it was such a unique and rich universe that it just felt like it opened up my entire world. So that I think I that's, can, I, can I think that's why, that. I think yeah. that's why. And, and, you know, both of those, I, one, I think Tolkien's a little bit better at world building um, because, you know, the, the Narnia series, their kids' books, they're, they're, they don't hold up as well as, as The Lord of the Rings does. But they, um, they make you think about things in a very different way. Ah, that beautifully said, Conrad. So. Wonderfully. Wonderfully said. Um, any, any guess on what my number one is based on... Uh, what you just your explanation uh, that resonates with me and my number one any any guess what that I might? think it might be Star Trek related <laughs> yeah, yeah. What it a could good be guess. it could be what a good guess um so my number one pick is Star Trek six the undiscovered country oh you see so you picked you picked a specific absolutely film. absolutely there I haven't shared this shared this story uh I, I think I haven't shared I might have shared part of it on Episode one, our origin story episode, um, where we 
so brilliantly talked about origin stories and our own personal origin stories in this podcast origin story. Check it out if you haven't listened to it already. Uh, but my my story as a Trekkie goes back to Star Trek Six, and this is why it was an emotional one for me putting together this top five. My brother took me to go see this, and um, this is oh. another example of why I miss him so dearly. He was so core to many of the things that uh, led me to become the geeky person I am. But when I saw Star Trek Six, it was a double feature. Star Trek Six and the Adams Family were playing, and we went more for the Adams Family than we did Star Trek Six. But from that beginning of that film the explosion of praxis and seeing captain sulu and the excelsior and seeing uh kirk and spock and mccoy and these adventures you know I, I, it might have been the explosions i was a young kid at the time i think it was 1991 or 1992 but um something spoke to me when i saw star trek even though i had seen star wars before the, the star wars had the force and it had aliens that you know could do these weird powers and humans who were doing Doing these weird powers, it, it felt like a different universe than ours. When I saw Star Trek, it felt like it was us. It was us in the future. It was humans. It was Earthlings. It was humanity in the future. And guess what? We had survived. We had evolved. We were making a difference in the galaxy. That appealed to me. And after Star, Star Trek VI, I discovered the other Star Trek series, the other movies, and I started consuming it and just became a really intense Trekkie. And it was always – what ended up really speaking to me were these questions – that Star Trek raised questions about humanity and questions about what we would do in these impossible situations. And that love of science fiction and those questions are what eventually led me to discover psychology. When I took intro psych just by chance, my freshman year of college, I realized that this is the science that answers all the questions of science fiction and the rest is history. And that's sort of how I became a psychologist. So Everything that I, um, everything that gives me meaning in my life right now, you can pinpoint that all the way back to Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, and the movie that made me fall in love with this universe and this world. And I remember walking out of that theater feeling exactly like you did, Conrad, after reading Narnia and Lord of the Rings, that the, the universe is a much bigger place, and I felt like it was going to be a better place, and I can work to contribute and, and towards it. And like that. a very cool, magical awesome place you know like like that's that's the the cool thing um about all that stuff is that and i think that that's really you know part of why i love all these nerdy and wonderful things and the and i do love the people that create them it's sort of it opens the world of possibilities for humans and it's part of why i think humans are so amazing um we're also capable of horrible things too but but i i think that you know, d- despite my love for, for the dystopic futures in some cases, especially <laughs> in the zombie genre, um, I also think that a lot of science fiction and fantasy are very hopeful. Even if they have their dark moments, um, they they can just add that bit of brightness to your life. And yeah. and it it definitely adds to it as opposed to subtracts. So... So yeah, this was an interesting little list to come up with. I'm still, I'll, I'll admit to you, I, I think I could work on this forever and not be really satisfied with it. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's a tough one because it's like, ah, you, I, I just, it's so hard to choose. So 
And that's why we want to hear from other people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to see everybody's lists right now. Get them out. (laughs) Send us your lists. And Conrad, I don't even think we should share any honorable mentions because no, no, I think we're done. I think we got to leave it as is. And and you know, I I just want everybody to 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 send in their list. Why don't you tweet at us? Well, you can Um, tweet at us at Nerd Hour. Um, You can also email us. Uh, if you go to info at superfantasticnerdhour.com, you can let us know. You can leave comments on our webpage. A uh, friend of the show, Lowen Baumgarten, just left us a comment about uh, House of Cards and how he's excited for the new season. And he's been prepping himself by watching some West Wing. And nice. In, in response to what you and I were talking about in that last episode or a couple episodes back, Conrad, on our um um, the man in the high castle is that what we talked mm-hmm. about yeah so you can leave us a comment on the webpage and you can contact us individually as well conrad how can people do that on twitter i am at die prince and you can also uh find me on reanimated which is reanimated pcast on twitter and reanimatedpodcast.com and maybe one day you guys will be reviewing Monstro, which is... Uh, I don't know, because <laughs> Gino Diaz actually has to finish writing that. So. And he said, I may not ever write that, but it's a book about... Or it's a story about a viral outbreak that creates giant zombies. Uh, Mr. Diaz, please <laughs> always, come out with this. I always feel like he's sometimes joking about it, because it does seem hilarious if you think about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> maybe one day we'll we'll have a chance to talk about this with uh mr stewart tiffin uh, our good friend at reanimated your co-host um you can also find me on twitter i am at alima too um i have a humble little web page called brain knows better where i talk about the psychology of science fiction and also if you go to the psych that'll get you to my youtube channel where i talk about psychology and try to make it fun and interesting um was on hiatus last week because of uh, being out of town and being busy, really busy. But we'll have a new episode of The Sex Show coming out for you. And by will, I mean me because there's no one else I work with. So I'll have a new episode for you or, guys. Or the other Ali Matu that exists in this plane. Oh, it could man. be your if, clone. If I had a clone, Conrad, I would be so productive. Actually, probably uh, Speaking we of just, which, Orphan Black. We just Black. probably watch Street Fighter or play Street Fighter 2 all day. Uh, yes, Orphan Black's coming back. Yeah, it's coming back. There's lots of good stuff coming back. March is going to be a really fun month. Uh, we've got so much to talk to. And speaking of that, next week on our first March episode, we're talking about Black Mirror, BBC show that has recently come out on uh, Netflix. So do yourself a favor, check it out. We'll be reviewing it. There's only six episodes in the whole series. So <laughs> it right. won't take you that much time. I'm looking forward to that discussion, Conrad. I am too. Have you started watching it yet? I have. I have, and I've got many thoughts. Uh, okay, I cannot wait to discuss these with oh, you. Oh, it's so, going to be a good one. So until next time... Live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.